You may be seated. You know, when I I sing the uh, song, It Is Well With My Soul, my thoughts turn to the writer. And I've shared his story before, so I won't share his story completely again for sake of time. Although I will say shortly, Horatio Spafford wrote this hymn after his uh, family had sunk to the bottom of the ocean in an ocean liner on their trip across to this country. And later he had the opportunity to sail back across and at the place where it's believed his family sunk on that ship, the captain stopped the voyage and he stood on the deck of that ship looking down into the dark depths of the ocean knowing his children and his wife were entombed in that dark ocean and wrote the words to at least one verse of this great hymn. His story is tragic from a human standpoint. He lost his family, then he lost, he married, and they had many miscarriages. They had many children die to the point that some who said they cared for him begged him not to try to have any other children, that God somehow was punishing him by having all this disaster. His response was to go to the Middle East and Jerusalem and adopt children and raise them uh, in a sense like an orphanage for the glory of God. But he was not out of touch with the reality and the pain involved in death. He had a break with reality in his later life. Many people don't know this. He even began to hallucinate and even believed he was the Christ. Um, He lost all sense of reality late in his life. And then on his deathbed, as he lay dying, clarity returned. And it was this song that was sung by him dying. He did lose touch with reality for a season. He did suffer immeasurable pain in our eyes, but God only gave him what was necessary to fit him for the kingdom of God. And now he enjoys heaven where there is no loss and no pain and will enjoy the fullness of heaven in days to come. So this is not some glib hymn written in some cathedral about how suffering people ought to suffer with the joy of God. This is a suffering man who suffered almost his whole life and he says, it's well with my soul. It's well with my soul. We should learn to suffer this way. I want us to take a closer look at the vision of Grace Fellowship. And I want us to look in the text, Romans 15, chapter 15, verse 18 through 21 for our text. And I want to do several things today. It's a special day in the life of our church. This is our second annual vision day where we cast a little vision of for the year to come and hopefully project into the future some things we hope to happen here in the years to come. We have the privilege to look at a master plan for ministry, in a sense, for 2006. I guess it would be best if we start out by asking a simple question. Is it biblical, is it biblical to have a mission statement or a vision statement or a purpose statement? Is that biblical? 
It's a valid question. And I want to try to find an answer for you in Scripture. I believe I have found an answer. There's more than one place, but I've focused in on the life of the Apostle Paul. That's the first thing I want to do. The second thing I want to do is for us together to look at the ideas of the leadership of the church as laid out for the coming year. Things, goals, things that we hope to see God accomplish among us. Now it's important to understand that this vision statement is not infallible. It's not the Word of God. And so, as we look at it, remember that. By this, uh, I want us to understand fully that we are a congregational church. In the truest sense of the word, we are a congregational church. That term simply means that we believe the authority is vested in Jesus Christ to lead each individual congregation through leadership of the congregation and through the body as a whole to His intended purpose. Jesus Christ is the head of this church. He is the one who lays out the future. We are the ones who hope to understand what He has for us in the future. Through prayer and through study and through discussions, we hope to find this. And through the leadership and the unity brought only by the Holy Spirit. I want to make it clear that this vision statement is only effective if each of you as a part of the body adopt it, make it a passion for the coming year. We will make the presentation today, try to answer any questions you have in the hour to come after we eat our meal, and then I will turn it over to you as families to discuss this in the week to come, and then next week we will affirm the vision. So I don't don't want to rush through it just to say we did something. Um... Uh, We affirm something. I want you to understand it. I want you to take it home. I'm going to give you a hard copy of it to take home and look and pray over and think through and come back and affirm it with us because it is essential that everybody be on the same page. Not that the leadership be on the same page, but that we all be together in unison. So I, I want to take the time today and throughout the week to seriously consider the plan. Seriously consider it. Seriously ask God, what is it that He has intended for the next year here at Grace Fellowship? So let's turn to the question I asked at the beginning. Is it biblical to have a mission statement? Yes. The simple, short answer is yes. Romans 15, 18 through 21. If you'll read along with me, listen as the Word of God is read. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul had, I want to make three observations about this passage for you, dealing with mission statements and vision for church. First of all, Paul's power for ministry came directly from Jesus Christ. Look in verses 18 and 19. He says, I don't want to speak of anything, I don't want to speak of anything except that, what, that those things that Christ has accomplished through me, 
And then he goes down and says, the, the power, the word and deed, power of signs and wonders by the Spirit of God. See, in verses 18 and 19, he focuses on the power of the ministry. The power is not Paul. And the power is not his intention and his plan. The power is the power of God. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. It's useless to speak of vision or ministry goals unless they are the goals of Christ for the ministry. You might as well be speaking into the wind. He is our sufficiency and without Him, we will be able to accomplish nothing in eternal perspective. Of course, there are people today who operate in our world, churches today who operate in our world who do many things without Christ. But they are not eternal. Those things are not eternal. Nothing can be done without Jesus Christ and His power. So all of the planning and all the provisions that we make are useless unless we know our power comes directly from Jesus Christ. Paul continues to stress this in verse 19. Through the power of signs and wonders, the power of the Holy Spirit of God, so that I was able to do everything I was called to do from Jerusalem all the way around to what is modern day Bosnia, I have taken the gospel that far. You didn't know Paul was in that region of the world, did you? Think about it. From Jerusalem around the Mediterranean Sea to modern what used to be called Yugoslavia in Europe, Paul preached the gospel to those who had never heard it before. This is a broad ministry. We often get the picture of Paul in some colloquial setting, preaching in some tent and moving around a few miles and preaching again. He covered hundreds of miles. And he didn't do it by his own strength and by his own power. He did it by the power of Jesus Christ. So, first of all, I want us to see from this passage that his power for ministry comes as an extension of Jesus Christ through him. He does not see the ministry as something that he started self-visualized, self-motivated, or dreamed up in his own conscience. His ministry is founded, planned, and guided by Christ through the Holy Spirit. This said, Paul does tell us that he played a vital role and part in planning and in the fulfillment of the ministry. Like Paul, we will find power in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. If not, nothing we do will last. 1 Corinthians 3 governs my life every day. I often, in the day, think about the judgment of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. In the last day, when I stand before Him, I will give an account for every action, every word, not now in condemnation, but as a redeemed believer, I will stand before him to give account for my life. What did it count for? Was the words I spoke, the deeds I did, were they done in the name and by the power of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, or were they my words and my deeds? If they're my words and my deeds, if they're your words and your deeds, Christian, when you stand before him, 1 Corinthians 3 says they will burn away as dross, refining the gold, so that the only thing that remains is the work and the words done in the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so there we have our weight of reward for life. In other words, heaven is not equal for all men. There are men among us who have lived in the past and even today who will enjoy heaven more 
than others. You thought God was a communist or something, I think. You think He was going to just make everybody equal in heaven. No. There are rewards. And the rewards come to those who ministered and spoke and lived and moved and had their movement and their being in Jesus Christ. They have a bigger weight of glory to hold to to present to Him in worship. The only gratification that will be found in the kingdom of heaven is glory that will be given to God through Jesus Christ. And some will have more to give than others. And so this life matters. This life counts. This life does have substance and meaning. And what is it? It's the power of Jesus Christ working through us to accomplish for His glory and for His name ministry. Ministry on His behalf. But painting that that power so strongly, I don't want to overemphasize it to the point we forget we play a part. Paul says in verse 20 and 21, And thus I make it my ambition. He's an ambitious person. To preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He had a clear part, a clear part in the ministry that God had given him. He was not passive. We don't get the picture that Paul just kind of walked around in a fog, and then Jesus would say, preach, and he would preach, and then he did these random acts on the side over here that were power and wonder, and then some people believed, and he baptized them, and he said, hey, y'all disciple them and start a church over here, and oh, it'd be good if I... It's not haphazard. He planned his life. His whole ambition was so the gospel would go from specific... Geographic locations, do you see that in the text? He didn't just take a map and then close his eyes like pin the tail on the donkey and stick it somewhere and say, oh, well, that'd be nice. No, he had an intention. From the very beginning, from the time he left Jerusalem, he said, I don't want to preach where everybody else is. I don't want to go where Peter and James and all these other brothers are. They have their ministry. Mine is a pioneer ministry. I will go where no one has heard and I will go from where have they not heard? I will follow the Mediterranean and go up into Europe. How did he get there? Because he had this desire to preach where no one had heard. And then God powerfully gave him a vision of the Macedonian crying, Come and give us the truth. And he responded in obedience. Don't overplay God to the point that we mean nothing. We matter because God says we matter. Grace fellowship matters because God says we matter. And He has bound up in His eternal plan to spread His glory and the gospel through us. We're not passive. If we are, we're not following Him. Notice the language of relationship with Jesus. It's not passive, sit on your hands language. It's follow Me and I will make you fishers of men. Go to all of the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to, deserve, uh, to observe all things I have commanded you. These are active. Acts 1.8 You will go into Jerusalem, Judea, and into the uttermost parts of the world. These are active commands. Go, take the gospel. And Paul understood this. And he applied a goal, a purpose, an aim, an ambition to spread the gospel among the unevangelized. That was Paul's ministry. Timothy had a ministry in Ephesus. Titus had a ministry in Crete. There are many ministries listed. They don't look identical, but they all have the same power source, Jesus Christ. 
and they all follow the same pattern. I will do what God has called me to do daily, working and with my ambition, nose to the grindstone in a sense for the glory of God. The second observation is that Paul's purpose of ministry was clear. He wasn't wishy-washy. He didn't say, well, Lord, I don't have an idea about what it is you want me to do today, so I guess I'll just go take a stab in the dark. That's not how Paul lived his life. This church and our people must be a people who plan, who are intentional, who do everything they do, whether it's eating or drinking or walking down the street or going to class or going to work with the ambition of spreading the gospel to the world. You will never be great for the glory of God haphazardly. This church will never be great for the glory of God unintentionally. We will not back into it through the back door. We will be great and you will be great for the glory of God by intention. Mothers, your children will not know Jesus Christ and they will not make Him known unless you intentionally train them every day, pushing them to Christ and to being little servants of His in the world around them. Fathers, your family, your wife will not be washed in the Word and your children will not be shepherded and guided unless you do it intentionally. It won't just happen when the ball game's over and there's time on the schedule. There'll never be time. It has to be planned. Middle-aged, single person, you will never reach the Gospel, push the Gospel to your world and around the world by simply saying, when Jesus puts somebody at my door, I will do it. You must go with an ambition to the lost world and preach the supremacy of Christ for the joy of all people, as my mentor in the gospel says, John Piper. The supremacy of God for the joy of all people doesn't happen unless we're intentional. Grace Fellowship, we will never be what God has called us to be by accident. We will not just wake up one day and it happened through osmosis. How will it happen? Through committed, ambitious, praying and seeking and working the will of God. That's how it will happen. Any other plan will fail. Understanding our power comes only through Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit, but grasping onto that power source, then reaching into the world, that will be how we become great and spread the great name of Jesus Christ to the uttermost parts of the world. That's how it will happen, and no other way. It is ordained to be this way. The gospel was not just generically preached to all people, it was commissioned through the mouth of the saint in Romans 10. How will they know unless someone teach them? And how will they teach unless they're sent? And how will they be sent unless they know Him? Don't you read those verses and hear how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel of peace? We're sitting around waiting on a plan or something. And we need to be ambitious. We need to dream big dreams and expect great things from a powerful God who can do anything. He will accept nothing less than that. We're so busy, myself included, dilly-dallying in these simplistic, juvenile adventures in life that we can't see the great adventure of taking the gospel 
to the world, through our church, through our family, through our local context to the whole world. We don't all have the same calling. All of us were not sent like Paul to those who have never heard. Some were, but not all. I know it's, it's true, though, that personal, about personal ambition, people tend to work. They tend to work through exhaustion and frustration for the one thing they hold most valuable. You only burn out doing things you don't see the value in. You will never... I know people use this excuse all the time. I'm scared I'm going to get burned out for Jesus. Let me say something to you. If you hold Him as most high and most supreme and most glorious and most beautiful and most becoming of all things, you will never burn out serving Him. Never. You cannot run too hard or too fast after Him. What can you run too hard after and too fast after? Because you're saying, well, I've been burnt out in church before. Don't misunderstand. I'm not equating church service to Christ service. They can be the same, but they can be totally different. If we make a commitment among ourselves as a band of brothers and sisters for Christ to make Him supreme above all things and then chase hard after Him, we'll never serve this church. We'll never burn out. Because He is infinitely powerful and able to give us strength through the end. You will burn out if you work for this church. You will burn out if you work for me. You'll burn out if you work for one another. But you will never burn out working for Jesus Christ. Never. So that's the second observation. The first being that God is the power through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Secondly, that Paul's purpose was clear in the ministry. Third, Paul's purpose was stated from Scripture. Finally, Paul's mission statement or vision statement comes straight from Acts, I mean Isaiah 52, 15. He quotes it in our passage. Those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. I can just see and imagine that Paul had memorized the whole Old Testament by the time he was saved. And once he was saved in the desert, being trained by Christ, I can vision, vision with a, with a hopefully a God-ordained imagination, him sitting there learning from Jesus. And all of a sudden, Isaiah 52, 15 means something to him. He had known it, but now it meant in heart he knew it, not just in mind. The people who've never heard will hear. The people who've never understand will understand. How? Because I will take it. I will go. I will be the one. And then he rises with his commission. Going. Taking that gospel. All the way to Bosnia, Yugoslavia in our day. What a powerful message to think that our vision and mission should come from the Word of God. By the power of God, through Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit, we will seek to have a ministry statement and purpose that is clear so that we can fortify it with the Scripture. That's where we'll gain it. And then march together, united in the cause, common cause of the Gospel. So what is this vision? second half of this is to say, what is the vision for the passion and purity and pursuit of 2006. I will say up front this is not this is not brand new. Many of these 
parts are stated from last year, and so I will not recount all of them, but simply to say that we are still on the same course with new objectives and some new goals for this coming year. So I want to highlight the differences and let you read through and remember last year's statement as you read it. One great verse flies like a banner over my life and over this church. Not to us, O Lord, not unto us, but to Your name give glory because of Your mercy and because of Your truth. Why should the nation say, where is their God? But our God is in heaven and He does whatever He pleases. Psalm 115, 1 through 3. That is like a banner for me. That is like a, a, a flag flying over my life since I was 18 years old. I haven't been perfect in it. I've shrunk away, but He's been faithful to remind me that He is in heaven and He is doing whatever He pleases. We seek God's glory through passion for God and passion for our fellow men. We want to continue to participate monthly in communion together through the Lord's Supper. We want to emphasize prayer in our worship services and and plan specific times and services for prayer for the people of our church and the people around the world. One of those initiatives that we have already begun and will continue in 2006 is prayer for the nations. It will happen this Tuesday night at 6 o'clock in this building and you're invited to come be a part of praying for those who have not heard You may not have been called like Paul to go where no one's heard of the gospel and name his name, but we can pray for those who have gone and we can pray for those who are being persecuted. We'll have two all-night prayer times here at Grace Fellowship. We will pray like Paul together in the home in a sense. This is our home in a sense for that night anyway. And as a group of families pray without ceasing all night. This happened several times in Paul's life where he sought God in a planned and organized way, praying all night that God would give him the words to say or protect him from the dangers of this world. And so we will plead with God for our families, for Grace Fellowship, for our community, for our nation, and for the world. We will have four days throughout the year of fasting where everyone in the body will be challenged to fast for 24 hours from food and then use that time that we generally eat and fill our physical bodies, use that time for spiritual nourishment and prayer, and we will do it as a body. Four days is all we're asking to reflect over our lives. We will encourage our families to worship together during the week so that we might know God and might know His Son, Jesus Christ. We will ask them to have family worship. The best family worship time will be in your home. And that should spill over into worship here. We will see the fruit of this. We will see the fruit on an individual level when your tenor and tone of your home changes. And we will see the fruit of it in our corporate worship when families that have prayed and wept and sang and read the Scripture all week together show up here on a Sunday And then we have this magnificent worship service and exaltation of Jesus Christ because it's an overflow of what's going on in our individual homes. And so the greater family of Grace Fellowship will benefit 
through family worship. We're going to continue to study the Word of God. I said in the 9 o'clock hour, we have the mind of Christ in this Scripture. We have the mind of Christ. If you want to know what Jesus thinks, if you want to know what He has said and what He has commanded, it's not subjective. It's not given through visions or dreams or words of prophecy. It's given through the Word of Jesus Christ. And it's contained in this Word. And so... This Word is the very mind of Christ, we're told. And so we will study it. We'll study it together on Sunday mornings through the book of John. We'll be in the book of John. And so you can count on it. We'll be there most weeks. We will continue to worship and teach the Scriptures in Bible study times on Sunday morning with Aaron teaching in the Genesis study. The children will be learning downstairs And uh, we will have home Bible fellowships that will begin March the 5th. And we'll continue to have stints or semesters of learning and growing in that time together in fellowship. We'll continue to have women's Bible studies and we'll begin a fresh men's study in the fall where we begin to meet together as men. And we hope to take a group to Desiring God National Conference in the fall. We want you to be a part of that. I know it's a sacrifice. I know it may be your family's vacation money. And that's a great sacrifice. But believe me when I say it will be worth it. If you have the ability to go, we're going to go and we ask you to go with us. These are all efforts to be more passionate about God. Now, passionate for people. Missions. This year, we will continue to support Campus Outreach. The Lord's blessed us with a thriving ministry at JSU with the college students. And we'll continue to support the staff and the students involved in the ministry. It's our privilege to have several other Campus Outreach staff at uh, other universities who are spreading the glory of God through campus ministry. And we'll continue to partner with them to raise up disciples for the next generation. This is one of the greatest ministries And we're going to have a day where they can make a presentation to you as a congregation because I want you to understand how big this thing really is. It's not JSU only. It's worldwide. They have grown. They're 25. I catch this vision. They're 25 years old. I'm not going to tell you all the facts and figures today about what they've done, but God's grown them and blessed them. If they continue on the same path, conservative numbers say that in 10 years, Ten years, they will be the largest mission agency in the world on the college campuses around the world. John Piper said to his elders before they adopted Campus Outreach as a platform ministry for Bethlehem Baptist Church. I have the letter if anyone wants to read it. He said many things, but he said this, and it just said, it it gave word to what I believed in my heart. He said, men... Elders, fellow elders, if we die, and this is the last thing we do, is implement campus outreach into this local body, we, we can die knowing we've lived well. That is a, if you know John Piper, that is a huge statement about the value of a ministry in the kingdom of God. And we are blessed to have a campus ministry here. We're blessed to have them here with us, although they're gone on retreat, a lot of them today in different places. But we're blessed to have around 30 of them with us every Sunday. 
and their zeal for evangelism and discipleship and worship and pursuit of Jesus Christ will hopefully be contagious in the body as they intermix with us. So we will continue in the year 2006 to support and give even more support to that ministry. The Masters Academy International in Albania will continue to be a focus here. Two Every Tribes Ministries with David Sitton in Papua New Guinea and Mexico will continue to be a, or will begin to be a focus for us in 2006. Hurricane Katrina Relief Ministry will will have another week where we'll go in June, June of 2006, the the 12th through the 16th, where we'll go spend a whole week renovating homes again. If you weren't able to go last time, there'll be men and women who go on this trip in June. For the glory of God, for the name of Christ, we will go and help those who cannot help themselves and share the gospel with them. We will have local ministries here through the Alabama Baptist Children's Home, Cerebral Palsy Center, I can't name them all. Hopefully a gospel-centered jail ministry here in Calhoun County. Backyard, we're planning two backyard Bible clubs in Jacksonville in housing developments so that the children don't have to come to us, but so that we go to them with the truth of God's Word. We will seek to support Crisis Pregnancy Center in Anniston. This is a, a, a burden on my heart as I think about our nation where we have slaughtered over 40 million children since 1973. Over 40 million lives snuffed out before they had an opportunity to breathe or act or move without their mother's assistance. And we sit and disregard that truth in such a way that we won't take the gospel to these hurting young mothers who simply need help to understand the value of each and every life. They need a friend in this time of crisis. They need someone to help them in the pain of having a child out of wedlock that they can't support and that they may never see again. They need to see the value of it, and you can be a part of that. And our church hopes to be a part of supporting a culture of life in the year to come. And we will continue to develop deacon ministry that will minister to our body and the community in a real and glorious way. That's one area we seek. We will also seek purity. We'll live in our, our best of our ability to be in purity before the Lord, being, as ho- being holy as He is holy. We see the great need. I see this, and I believe our leadership sees I know they do, and I believe you see it, some of you more than others possibly. We see the great need of our day as being Jesus Christ and exalting Him as supreme over all things. And so, let me say, purity, don't misunderstand that as legalism. We're not seeking to be legalist. We're seeking to value Jesus Christ so much that the things and the sins of this world lose their attraction to us. When we look into the face of the eternal Son of God and know what He has done for us, we will lose the passion for sinful lusts of the flesh. And that's the only way we will lose it. When we exalt Him, and this is one goal, that if we don't accomplish any other, we will have done a great thing if we can just see His supremacy and the supremacy that He holds over all things. He is supreme in His deity. He is supreme in His eternal nature. Everything else is a shadow compared to His eternal nature. He is supreme in His constancy. His virtues have never changed. He is supreme in His knowledge. 
He's supreme in his wisdom. No one has ever perplexed him or given him a problem that he cannot and has not solved. He is supreme in authority over all other authority. Matthew 28 says he's been given every bit of authority in heaven, in earth, and those things under the earth. He is supreme in his providence. Not one bird drops from the air that Jesus Christ doesn't give it its flight path to the ground and not one grain pops up out of the ground and bears fruit for you and I to eat lest he give commission to it. He is supreme in his providence. He's supreme in his word. He holds all things together by the power of his word according to Colossians 1, 17 and Hebrews 1, 3. He's supreme in power. He is the healer, the controller of storms. He raises the dead by the power of two words. He said to Lazarus, Come forth. And Lazarus came forth. Better than that, Ezekiel 16 says, Our God, Jesus Christ, is so supreme that He looked at the nation of Israel and said, Live when they were in their blood and they lived. He gave them life with one powerful word. Jesus Christ is supreme over all things. He's supreme in His purity. He has never sinned in His trustworthiness. He is faithful in His justice. He will settle all of the accounts of mankind, either by the cross or by hell. Let me say to you, if you're here today, stay with us throughout this year, because I hope to show you that Jesus has either reconciled you by His cross, and you are forgiven, and you are justified, or Jesus Christ will rectify your account through hell. His justice will be served And so it's just a matter of how it will be served in your life. He's supreme in patience. He's patient with this rotten sinner. And He's patient with this stubborn-minded people. He's patient with the world around us. He calls the sun to rise, the clouds to cover it, and snow to fall today. He is patient with us. He is servant. Sovereign obedience is supreme over all things. His meekness and His tenderness, His wrath... One day, He will explode on this earth the wrath that He is keeping and kindling. When I hear people on the news and in my personal walk, when I hear someone mock the wrath of God, and when I hear someone say, well, where is this Jesus when a baby dies? And where is Jesus when my mother was murdered? And where is Jesus when I was raped? And where is Jesus when these people are beheaded in Iraq for simply believing in His name? Where is Jesus? I say, He is in heaven kindling His wrath. And on one day He will come and explode on this earth that wrath. And all things will be made right. He has not forgotten you. And He has not forgotten me. And He is not overlooking our injustice. He is either rectifying it in His cross or He will pour out His wrath on you in hell. That's where our God is. He is here. And I hope to make Him more real than ever before in your life. He is supreme in His wrath. He is supreme in His grace. He gives us life to these dead rebels on the earth. When we were His enemies, He gave us life. He gives us love. He is supreme in His gladness. He's infinitely joyful in His own being. He doesn't need us, but yet He takes joy in us. He's supreme in His severity, His simplicity, His complexity, His invincibility, His great courage, His depth. Anything, anything that you can think of that is morally great, He is supreme in that. He is over the earth. 
from the Himalayas which stretched to 29,000 feet above us and to the depth of the Pacific Ocean at 36,000 feet. He is supreme. There is nothing in this world or extra out of this world that He is not supreme over. He's supreme over all creation. He's supreme over weather. He's supreme over chemical processes. He's supreme over antibiotics. Have you ever stopped to think for a moment that He is so gracious that He has given us medicine that we might be healed from our sicknesses? And don't make the mistake of thinking men have done this. Our great Jesus has been merciful to us by giving us things we can be cured from infection and disease and have longer lives. He is supreme over countries and He is supreme over armies. He is supreme over terrorists. No terrorist acts today or has ever acted without His sovereign plan. He is supreme over terrorists, over Osama bin Laden, over Al-Zarqawi. He's supreme over suicide bombs. He's supreme over planes flown into buildings. He's supreme over kidnappings, rapes, torture, beheadings, politics, elections, media, news, sports. He's over education no matter what they teach. He is supreme over them. He's supreme over scholarship, business. He's supreme over the internet. Abraham Keeper says, There is not one square inch in all of the universe to which Christ does not rightly say over it, Mine, and I take it for my own supreme glory. It might not be seen to you and to me that He is supreme over all things, but in one moment, in one time, He will come with the armies of heaven and He will be proclaimed as supreme. And He will either welcome home and rescue those who wait on Him or He will banish and crush all of those who oppose Him. So give yourself this year, if there's not one more goal in this that you care to be a part of, give yourself to knowing that He is supreme over all things. I didn't give you an exhaustive list. You may think it was exhaustive. But I tell you, He is so supreme. I was just sitting outside this week in that yard looking at the grass and the little things that move in the grass and thinking, Christ is supreme over these things. The ants gather their food. The ants build their hills. Why? Because Jesus Christ commands it and they do it. This is why. We'll never know pure purity in our person, or in our church life until we focus on knowing the supremacy of Christ. He is the govern that governs our sin. The reason you and I are so filthy in our sin is because we don't know Him very well. And if we did, we would not sin. Son, I, I, I think about the Son, Jesus Christ, S-O-N, and I think in our galaxy, I want to end here, We'll go over the pursuits there after you eat. He's even merciful to make a preacher be quiet after a while. What am I saying? He's the power. He's the source of our plans and our intentions. He is sovereign and He is power over our lives in such a way that to know Him keeps us from sin. I want to say this in the truest way I can. There, if you can think of a sin, don't right now, but if you can think of a sin that you have a problem with, that is nothing but the 
effect. It is not the cause of your problems. The cause of your problem is not knowing Christ well enough or not knowing Him at all. We have spent centuries in the church trying to legally outlaw sin. Oh, it's so good to sit with Rashad this week. I enjoyed it so much. We are able to talk of his homeland, Iran. And Rashad said the, the sad thing for him is that his country is so beautiful, but the religious people there have made it so ugly because all they seek to do is outlaw sinful action. And so they raise up armies and police to follow people around and ask them, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? What are, what's your intention? Right, Fashad? And we were able to say together, because of the work Jesus has done in Fashad's life and in his heart, that our great hope for Iran is the same hope we have for this church and for our nation. And is that John 8.32, remember Fashad, would be true. He who the, who the truth shall set you free. And later he says, the one the Son has set free is free indeed. And so we, I, I pledge to him, and I, and I want to keep this pledge, that this year in my life and in the life of this church, we will pray for the freedom of Iran. Not so they can be politically free, but so they can be spiritually free. And we're going to pray that Fashad's raised up and sent back with this message to his people. And we want to strengthen him in that. And I say that simply to say some of you have these legalized barriers that you're trying to keep yourself pure in and it won't work. I'm not trying to be a, say there's no practical solution to staying out of sin. I believe there is. But you must first deal with the heart. Know Christ and then set up practical solutions to stay away from sin. But unless you know Him, the practical will fail. The practical will fail. So we will work as a people to know God, to hold Christ up as supreme, and to be pure as we love our fellow men. Let's pray. Father, this is a difficult, difficult thought that we would seek to know who you are. Through Jesus Christ. Jesus, we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except by you. We know that from a surety, by your own words, that the ones who see you see the Father. And we know from your word and your promise to the disciples in John twelve, thirteen, and fifteen, that you are you have sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And so now, Lord, we seek this year to spread by His power, the Holy Spirit's power, and intentional plans to spread the glory of God, Your great glory in this earth. Help us as we do it. And may it start with me and with the leadership and with us individually in the congregation far before it starts as a corporate body. We love You and praise You. It's in Your name that we pray. Amen. There are some things...